0: This is episode 43 of the Spirituality for Ordinary People podcast. My name is Matthew Bruff, and I'm a pastor and an author. And today, I have a phenomenal interview with Joe Saxton and Stephanie O'Brien, who are both pastors and also uh, they host the Lead Stories podcast. Joe has a book out this year called... The Dream of You, and we talk about their podcast and about Joe's book and uh, also about some of their spiritual practices toward the end of the interview. I know you're going to love this one, and uh, so that's we're just going to jump right to it today uh, and uh, leave this intro behind, so enjoy this interview. Thanks for listening. Today on the podcast, I have Joe Saxton, and I always hear you introduced as Pastor Steph,
1: yeah, that's it. I so, yeah, got rid of the rest of them. Stephanie O'Brien, <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> Stephanie o', Stephanie O'Brien but yeah.
0: <laughs> I'm thrilled I'm. to have the two of you on the Spirituality for Ordinary People podcast today.
1: Thank we're you. glad to be here.
0: Yeah, and uh, we were just chatting and I was basically just saying how awesome both of you are. Um, I've been listening to uh, your podcast, the Lead Stories podcast, for a couple of months now and have really loved it. And it's just the energy between the two of you and your excitement for leadership and ministry and, um, and wow, like, I can't believe the amount that the two of you are doing. So I want to talk a bunch about the lead stories podcast, but also if any of my listeners ever go and read your bios, Mm -hmm. like the two of you are doing so much stuff.
1: <laughs> that you know the energy that you hear through the podcast is not is not fake it's it's <laughs> genuine and it goes on all day we just push record for a few minutes a <laughs> week funny. and then share that with the oh world oh my gosh that's funny because we we actually have this little walkie talkie app we talk about a lot called boxer yeah and um so basically what you hear in the podcast goes on between the two of us nearly all day even when we're in our separate locations. Um, and then every once in a while, we think we should record some of this. And then it turned into a podcast.
2: Do you think that's narcissistic that we actually decided to record ourselves having no, conversations? No, I about? would say
1: that, <laughs> I'm not trying to say that there's nothing there. I'm just saying people were like, I think this could be
2: helpful for people in yeah. small doses. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the in small doses <laughs> bit was the bit we didn't quite register <laughs> when planning.
0: Right, is that, just, is that kind of how the podcast started? was just
2: yeah. Yeah. Know, yeah,
0: thinking, hey, we talk a lot to one another, we should we should let uh, other people
2: people this. people
1: asked us about it actually yeah so, okay. a couple of
2: friends said you should start a podcast
1: yeah when I mean, every a couple times we were on a um like a panel together and people asking questions about something and they there was the combination of the energy probably and then um maybe like the, the fact that we tease each other a little bit and yeah we thought, that right. sounds interesting we well, should that's record the that. Thing
0: about the show too is it's just super entertaining
1: Okay. good it's, it's,
0: it's incredibly helpful like that's I mean if you go and like read descriptions of it and you're like oh wow this is a good topic or this sounds like an interesting guest but then when you listen like the two of you are just laughing and having a great time good. even it's, while talking about really deeper or important topics and,
1: like you know. it's therapeutic it's, it's therapeutic it's, <laughs> it's our everyday life and we do both have a lot of irons in the fire but um it works
0: for us for the yeah. most part.
2: Yeah, for the most yeah, part,
0: for sure. So, like, Joe, you've written a few books. Yeah, and yeah. Talk
2: talk, talk about yourself, Joe. Talk about myself. Yes. Okay. Um. Yeah, I've written four. Um, the first one is out of print, so that'll come back. I'll do that again Ooh, one day. Vintage. I know. Vintage. The other copy, and then <laughs> um, one called um, "More Than Enchanting," although in other parts of the world it's called "Influential," which is about women and leadership. One on disciple, um, um, discipling, and then. The most recent one is called The Dream of You. Um, Let go of broken identities and live the life you're made for. And that just is about, um, I asked the question, who were you before anybody told you who you were supposed to be? Mm -hmm. And looks at how we can recover a sense of our identity and purpose. So, yeah. And what else do you do with your life? What else do I do? I have two children. um, So that takes up time. I spend a lot of time driving, carpool. That's what I do. That is how I spend most of my day, (laughs) driving to and from volleyball or basketball and While being, talking to me on being entertaining my children and their friends. Um, I also buy snacks because yeah, they just amazing. are growing. Um,
0: I, also, I also love how Steph just jumped in to be the, the host and started interviewing.
2: Well, like yeah, that. So well, like that, just natural. It, that is her way. That, <laughs> that is her way. I like your Um yeah. And I coach women leaders as well. I spend a lot of time coaching and, and yeah. developing leaders too. And I chair the board of a, an organization. But chairing the board isn't the same as doing everything else. So that did give me a bit more time.
0: Sure. Cool. Cool. And then, yeah. um, and Steph, like what about you? You're a pastor. You're both pastors. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. So. I, I pastor a church called Mill City Church, which, uh, is in kind of the heart of Minneapolis. Mill City is a nickname for Minneapolis and I uh, started in, by the flour mills and sawmills. And so we named the church after the city and we're almost at 10 years, which is a little bit crazy. So I'm a church planter and lead pastor there. And, um, and then I also teach at Bethel Seminary in St. Paul and um do some director program here and uh it's been really fun to kind of have the, both of those roles kind of as my main things that I do and then I get to do the podcast with Joe which is just for fun okay. and uh and I do some writing and stuff as well. So yeah, we got we got stuff going on.
0: Yeah, there's a lot there's a lot happening there. Yeah, um, I just
1: got also, married in this last year so uh I get cool. I get a chance to hang out with Joe's kids but otherwise I'm just trying to figure out how to Go from a family of one to two in that way.
0: (laughs) Yes, that can be uh, that can be fun to figure out.
1: It's been fun
0: (laughs) mostly. Okay, (laughs) I'm not going to push too hard on that. (laughs)
1: We'll leave that.
0: Um, (laughs) I really want to hear more, and I know my listeners are going to hear more about lead stories and just kind of what that's all about. And I know, kind of, I'm fairly new to listening, so but I know there's been seasons to that podcast and sort of different themes like the ones that I've kind of seen are like lead voices stigmas lead on breaking the mold there's always kind of this uh pattern um so I'd love to hear kind of what what have been some of your favorite themes that you've touched on or or strands that have emerged kind of through Mm -hmm. doing the podcast or different guests like what you've learned through it from it
2: yeah um well, I think part of it when we began lead stories other than being encouraged to talk to somebody else rather than the people we were talking at, <laughs> um, I think some of it was the idea of um, how do we equip people in their everyday lives and leadership, so we call it tales of lead, lead stories, tales of leadership and life, and w- the way we describe leadership is being intentional with your influence, and we 're just aware that lots of people across our communities are leading out in different ways, but they don't get to a conference and they haven't got time for the book or that because, you know, they're raising their kids. They've got a work towards a promotion. They're doing shifts. They're studying or all of the above in some form. But we wanted to um, find an accessible way for people who are often under-resourced and underrepresented mm-hmm. to have something which would invest in who they were and affirm their leadership because otherwise you're leading in a vacuum always wondering, second-guessing, are you doing this right? And what do I do about these things? Am I the only one who feels this way? And leadership can be lonely at the best of times, let alone when you really do know there's nobody around. And what does it look like to equip and invest in us, um, in our leadership, when it doesn't take the sphere of a local church... Um, but you would say you're a person of faith, but it works its way out when you're at work at the hospital or when you're homeschooling your kids and all those sorts of things. So those were, that was the heartbeat behind it. And so for me, I think one of the things I've loved most of all is just connecting with people and recognizing that that it was something that was needed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and that it was a felt need. Um, I mean, there are all these other wonderful offshoots of the, uh, particularly with women who've often not seen themselves as leaders or not felt it was accessible to them enjoying that. But we didn't set out to be a woman's podcast. We just set out to be a leadership podcast and an investing podcast. And I, and I'm, I'm just really grateful, um, to be able to do series like stigmas. I I call that the series where we came of age, (laughs) Um, partly because there was just so much going on in the world and it can be quite immobilizing to encounter so much and not know what to do with it. And what does it mean for you as a teacher, teaching a kid when you, uh, of different ethnicities and things. And how do I get to know their story? And and that, or what what does it look like to be validated because someone's talking about mental illness and not making you feel bad about your struggles with depression or OCD or whatever. And it's been a real privilege to be able to normalize things which are normal, but are often kept quiet about. So yeah, that'd be for me.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think um, it's been interesting because we sometimes joke about how, we don't have like a, a, a plan for these series, you know, and we're, we're not like planning out months in ahead. Here's what we're going to talk about. We tried that a couple of times and then it just it totally got scrapped. Yeah. Um, and if, for us, it really is an effort of listening to what we feel like God's leading us to, to talk about. And I think that that's why it has been effective for people is because it ends up hitting on some felt needs that are partly because we're listening to people, but partly it just feels like God's kind of been like, Hey talk about, so like lead on was really this response to how anxiety producing this last year has been for a lot of people. And, and, and what does it mean to lead on in the midst of that? And I think, um, this woman came up to me the other day and she was just like, I just feel like you were reading my journal about this, you know, Mm. or for men to say, you know, I just feel like when you were naming some of these things around stigmas, I felt like I was, I'm able to engage better in some of the spaces and be more empowering of other people or whatever, like those lists go on. And so, um, Yeah. It's been really... I think the lead on one was interesting because we it was going to be a series and then it turned into a A whole season. season. And um, there's just a lot there. And I feel like there could have been more too because um, anxiety and fear... Yeah. yeah, I think anxiety and fear are way bigger motivators in our lives than anyone wants to admit. Mm -hmm. And they're causing us to respond in some really interesting ways. And I think maybe the overall thing that I think lead stories has helped do is just name some things. Like there's something about, it takes the power away from the negative things when you name them. And when you name the positive things, it gives them power in your life and it empowers us as Mm -hmm. people. So So true. I I feel like that's a lot of what we've done is just set out loud. Some of the things that have been going on in people's hearts and lives and um, in their leadership and the things that they're facing.
0: The lead on season. That's when I started listening and Mm -hmm. kind of that's what drew me in as well. Just, Oh, these are people who are talking about, Here's what's going on culturally, not in the sense of like necessarily um, like pinpointing a particular issue. We have to talk about this because it's all over the place right now, but really kind of picking up on the sense of this, this culture of anxiety and and fear about what's going on in in life. Um, And so I really appreciated that. Um, and then the, the naming of, of what's really going on and, and really relating to that. I'm wondering, I want to talk to you a little bit about women in leadership. Um, I am the minority of listeners. Like I'm, uh, you know, 42 white guy, um, Canadian. Yeah. That's probably a real minority for your. Yeah.
1: Well, the Canadian part for sure. (laughs) No, I I think it's fascinating because we have, we would say that a lot from what we can tell, you know, you know, you have a podcast, so it's hard to know exactly who's listening, but, um, from what we can tell there are more women than men yeah um and part of that is just the platform like that joe has had in the past and stuff but i think it is interesting when two men have a podcast i don't know if everybody assumes that it's only for men but when two women do there's an assumption that it's just for women and i think that's that's probably a bigger force than anything else
0: i was kind of thinking about that today because um it might have been something i was listening to that that you guys were talking about where you're talking about women and leadership and part of me was just thinking like that's this isn't why I listen to this podcast. Like I, I listen because oh, I'm learning from the two of you. Mm-hmm. It has, like I don't think of it as a oh, it's a women's po- podcast. Like if
1: right, like it's I don't think it's it is at all.
0: Like, I know, <laughs> yeah, but but I can see why. Like I yeah. want to hear that perspective because I don't like I'm not going to sit around and listen to men talk about women and leadership. Do you know what I mean?
2: Yeah, yeah there there is that. <laughs> well, Okay, but there was a
1: well that's not always a given first of all that people wouldn't do that but yeah it's true um that did happen at one point mm-hmm. recently where someone okay. was like well i'll help you with that a yeah. man responding but i do think um we have a friend who is a man who l- listens to our podcast good guy and he said sometimes it does feel like you are speaking more specifically to women or about women's things and and that's it is a little bit harder to kind of get my head around it and we were like like we do all the time when most things are led by men so we have to translate them to what it means for us as women or just as a different person than them like that kind of work is kind of normal for women we have to translate yeah yeah like most leadership books for instance are written by men not all but a lot of them are and so i don't say oh this doesn't apply to me i say i have to contextualize that to what it means for me as a woman and so that's good and my friend this this gentleman was like you're right and that's a good thing for me to have to do that translation work, just like you often have to do that. And I said, I think it's good because yeah, sure. it helps us grow and yeah. get, it engages capacity. Um, and, uh, but at the same time, the work on our end to make sure that we are sharing information that's helpful for v- a variety and diversity of people is a goal that we have for sure.
0: Yeah. I noticed on and your website stuff too, there's something, there's like a list that you have of the oh, yeah. women preachers.
1: Yeah. It's it's on. like, yeah, I, I have it on pastorstuff.com. And then I think I have a link to it. If you just go to womenwhopreach.com, it goes right to it. It's almost a hundred uh, podcasts of women preachers that you can actually listen to. And where that came from for me is um, I focused on preaching as my area of focus when I was in seminary. And now I'm the preaching professor at Bethel seminary and When I would be in class, um, fortunately, some of the professors would say, Hey, listen to other preachers and then write some reports on these sermons, but pick somebody who's not your gender and not your ethnicity for at least one of them. And I do that same thing in my class now. And, you know, 10 years ago, people would say, We can't find women preachers online. Where do I find them? And bless the heart of my male professor, but he had not done the work to find them beforehand either. And so, he couldn't answer it, and um, that's just not a problem anymore. Yes. Uh, and I wanted to c- create that list because a lot of times, and uh, we we reference the quote, "You can't be what you can't see," because uh, when you don't hear people that are similar mm-hmm. to you speaking or teaching or see them leading, it can be a huge barrier in being able to picture the way that you might be called as a person, and so. Everyone's not called to preach and every woman's not called to preach, but certainly every man is not either. And so part of determining that is being able to have healthy examples. And so um, I just thought I'm going to have a running list of as many women who preach as possible because it's not too difficult to find male preacher podcasts. And hopefully it won't continue to be difficult to find opportunities to listen to women preach um, to, to both genders.
2: And so that, that list is there and it's been super exciting to see how many. It's good as well, because I think although you say 10 years ago that people weren't asking that, yeah. um, people, are, I still have people saying, so sure. where are the women? And I'm like, really, really though? We're still yeah. saying, oh, the, fact that question. The, the fact that you're not aware of them does not mean they don't exist. No, it just means you need to work harder. Yeah. I and it really does. Yeah.
1: And they're, and they're, um, there, so I have on there too, if people have, you know, their pastor or a friend, like submit it. So people are submitting them all the time and the list is getting longer and longer. And they're actually from all over the world now too.
0: I remember uh, graduating from seminary and, um, and suddenly like being in environments where there were more men in leadership because my seminary experience, most of my classmates, like a lot of my classmates were women. Mm-hmm. Um, and I grew up like two older sisters. Like I've just been <laughs> like there's always just been strong women around me so i yeah. found it really odd when i got into ministry and suddenly you know there was only one or two women in our who were colleagues and and yeah. the, the majority were men i found that kind of bizarre I'm like oh like shouldn't there be like this is this is sort of strange like i was i was always more around women than i was around men um so i Like people asking that question, I find that odd as well, but I feel like there's been a real increase in that actually in the last few months. Um, I don't know if it's because of all the Hollywood Me Too stuff or, Mm. um, you know, allegations of abuse coming out and things like that. Like, I don't know if it's just kind of more in the culture, but I feel like there's a lot more people asking questions or talking about women's place or leadership in the church. Uh, I mean, you know, I, in the last I, six months.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, I think I, I think it's a conversation that you have to have with every generation. To be honest, I think yeah, maybe. I think um, on one level you can say, okay, sh- are we still having this conversation? But all it takes is another round of things like that have come to light, and it's, yeah. and then you realise having one or two or three actually doesn't shift a the culture. They right. become the exceptions that prove your rules rather than actually bringing a culture shift. And unless you continually look to look um, work to um explore how to um almost uh, empower women and have a pipeline which empowers them we're gonna have to keep coming back to it because you realize that the cultures where women are absent or at least actually let let me correct myself what has come up in the news is where the cultures where women are absent from leadership Mm -hmm. has left all kinds of imbalances and checks and balances left untouched and cultural whether it's in companies, or whether it's in media, or whether it's in Hollywood, you see these things. So you're like, how was that allowed? And how how what kind of cultures did we allow ourselves to create? What kind of perceptions did we create um, by not by not engaging? And I'm not even talking about the church. I'm just talking in culture at, at, loud, at, at large. But I do feel every era we need to say, what does it look like to invest in women well um, to, to bring out the potential that they that they're already that's already within them how do we stop making that a question and make that an assumption and therefore do the work? And it's such a shame that the church is often part of holding that
1: back. Yeah. Yeah, When I think that, you know, my perspective theologically, you know, from a very high view of the Bible is that it's, it's very much has a redemptive trajectory on the role of women Mm -hmm. and what it looks like to reverse a curse really that we Mm -hmm. see in Genesis. And so the call to a Jesus follower to, uh, empower women to be all of all that God created them to be and to empower men to be all that God created them to be is, I think, a pretty clear thread throughout all of scripture. And yeah. I know where people are getting some of the uh, counter statements to that. But to me, it's not just a, it's 2018, can't no. we get it together? Like this is like, it's this is the old story, old, old story. And we're still living in it and it's not the end yet. But so part of our living in between the bookends is reversing that curse, actively participating in God's redemptive trajectory. And Um, what a privilege and an honor. And I can't believe that that means, but that most of the time, if not a lot of the time, hopefully not most, but a lot of the time the church is actually holding it back or making it worse (laughs) instead of reversing the curse.
0: (sighs) We'll We'll just, and we'll just keep shining a light like as best we can. Um, and, uh, I like, I don't want to, I don't want to necessarily take up our whole time with this, but, uh, like what, what can I do? Like, what could, what can men who are in leadership do that is, hmm. that is helpful?
2: Oh, I think multiple things. Um, <laughs> I think, grab a pen. Yeah. Great. Right um, I would say, I would, uh, I would say if you're a, a man in leadership, I would look, I would spend, spend a lot of time looking at the people in your community and looking at the leadership gifts. Who's working twice as hard Um, and I'd, I'd look at who they were. I'd give them, I'd ask for a really honest conversation, not in your office, because that's a different, the power and stuff somewhere else and say, no holds barred. Tell me what it's like to be, um, leading in your, in your, um, in this environment. Tell me what it's like in this environment for you as a woman, because I think you need to hear the stories. Um, and, and in that, in that conversation, do not justify a thing listen to everything and take it in. Um, I would ask them who their role models are. If they haven't got them, then I would pay, I would encourage leaders to pay the money to get people so that that can ignite their imagination um, so that they can see themselves and other people because it happens so often for men, they don't realize that's what's happening because that's their norm, but it's not everybody else's norm. Mm -hmm. Um, That's why the women coming into the preaching class, the women don't think that they're
1: supposed to preach and the men all think they are called and some of them are both wrong. Yeah, because they haven't. The they men haven't don't it. even realize that they've seen so many men preach that they assume that they should That's maybe. Their job. And the women don't realize that the lack of that opportunity has caused them to assume that they're
2: not supposed to do it, and that could go for a lot of different areas of leadership. I'd say if you're a preacher, preach about the women in the Bible, and not just on Mother's Day or in <laughs> Advent. Uh, yeah. um, I would say things like, if you're going to ask a woman to lead, ask, don't ask her once, ask her about fifteen times. Yeah, because y- you're not the only voice she's hearing um in terms of her value her potential or worth you have to talk loud you have to talk long you have to follow through you have to persevere and you and and not to assume that the on-ramp to leadership for her will be the same as it was for you um
0: yeah i think that's really good
2: i think those those are just those those would be my starting points and and then review and evaluate things again and again until it until it's done yeah 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 i would just say like listen to women and believe them
1: Tell them that you believe them. Yeah, Um, that's huge. Just, I mean, you don't don't have to necessarily agree with everybody's conclusions that they come to from their story, but can we believe their story? Yeah. And just kind of give them that benefit of the doubt um, or believe them in the perception of the experiences that they've had. Mm -hmm. Um, I think when I think about the men who have really been empowering to me, they're men who at times will speak up when something um, sexist or offensive is happening. Absolutely. Um, But they'll also say to me, you go for it. I support you. I'm behind you. And and, and encouraging me to use my voice to speak into that and not always having this like needing to defend as much as standing alongside the men who have been willing to stand alongside and say, she belongs up here next to me. She's going to respond to this and
2: making that space, like sliding over so that there's a space. Because sometimes it's not just the mentors, it's the sponsors as well. It's the people who get out of the way. And the thing is, it's that it will. It's a sacrifice, yeah. Which is why sometimes people give verbal assent to it and none in actual practice, right? <laughs> because it's like, yeah, you're welcome at my table. It's like, no, no, no. You need to get up out of your chair, and you need move over. You need to move over, or you need to move out the way, and all of those sorts of things. And th- yeah, there's just, I, there are multiple things. So there in my,
1: uh, I'm a part of the the Evangelical Covenant denomination, and they've got a. Uh, a new thing that they're doing this year that a a woman suggested called hashtag four more. And it's encouraging all male pastors who have a primary teaching role to have four more women preach in their pulpit in this next year.
2: Wow. And the idea is just
1: to say, like, we understand there's some churches, their culture is that you mostly hear from one person yeah, (laughs) and that's fine. But what would it look like to empower just four more? So if you've already, if you already have a number of women, four more this year, next year, and it's been really cool to see, they gave little pet pins to the to the men and they were wearing them that said hashtag four more. And I grabbed the pin and said I was gonna let four more men speak in my phone. <laughs> cool. But but I just think I think stuff like that where it's like, I'm I'm willing to move over and create space and get out of the way, not because I'm not a great leader. A lot of men are just fantastic leaders. Yeah. They would do a great job. It's not That's necessarily not about, that. about that. It's about mm-hmm part of taking it to the next level as a great leader is to raise up more leaders behind you of all gender, gender backgrounds, ethnic backgrounds, you know, raising up more leaders in general, and then being intentional, having to realize that turning up the notch in intentionality is what you're going to need to do because women have more barriers to doing that than men do.
0: Yeah. And I think like that, for me, that was a big thing to try to realize, Oh, right. There are, there are actually bar- barriers here. Like, cause I, cause I, I have blinders mm-hmm. onto that. Like I haven't had those barriers, right? Like yeah, I haven't right. necessarily seen that. Mm-hmm. And then to remind myself, oh, and, and like you, you said, every generation kind of needs that, but even yeah. every couple of years, it's sort of yeah. like, oh, right. It, like Those barriers are still there. They, yeah. Some of them might've changed. Some of them, some of the barriers might've come down, but then <laughs> new ones might've popped up. I don't know. But right. but yeah. to remind myself, yeah, oh yeah, it's not the same for me as it is yeah. for uh, mm-hmm. a woman who is coming into leadership and, and in some ways um, also for um, like, we have a large international population in and yeah. nation too. And just to realize even things like language barriers and cultural barriers and
1: absolutely, and they're racial not going
0: to just step in and say, Oh yeah, you know, i here's my opinion. And this is what I think about this issue in the church. And they're not going to speak up at annual general meetings and things like that as easily. Yeah. So it's how do we listen and how do we make sure that, Right, they're able to find their ways into those roles. Um, yeah, and we absolutely. talk
1: about that kind of the intersectionality between all those things, and if we don't attend to that, yeah,
0: the, it still the, won't
1: happen. The, the defaults are strong. The yeah. defaults are very strong. Then and so and
0: the, the gravitational. And then we pull. don't think, and we don't think then there's anything wrong. Mm-hmm. Like it's easy mm. to just be on the default and think, well, it's fine. Like there's right. nothing, and there might be all this underlying stuff that we're not actually paying attention to.
2: Absolutely, we've just called it normal. Yep.
1: Right.
0: Yeah.
2: Absolutely.
0: Yeah. I think that's great. Um, kind of gets back to what you're saying about naming naming things. Exactly. Um, can I ask about? I want to ask about Dream of You because we just sort of talked uh, yeah. over that a little bit. Um, and uh, so so take me back again. What's the what's the basic premise of the book? And yeah, you know, that's awesome. People, why should people go <laughs> read it?
2: I'm a big fan. I'm the number. One, I'm the number one. I'm the president of the fan club. of the book. Yeah. She really is. It's kind of scary. Um. <laughs> the, so the basic premise of the book it asks the question who were you before anybody told you who you were supposed to be? And it just recognizes that we were made in the image of God with potential and purpose and gifts, but life happens to us. People happen to us. And, and when those, when things adversely impact us, we shrink back, we shrink back up. Our identity becomes what we're allowed to be, what we can get away with rather than the fullness of who we are. Mm-hmm. And um, we don't live beyond what we believe about ourselves. And so part of it, um, the part of the goal behind it was how can we help people recover their identity and purpose and come back to what God has designed. Um, and, and, and I, for me, I see it as a pendulum swing that you come in to go out, you know, um, that you reflect on those things, not just so you can sit there and be happy with yourself, although that's not a small thing either, (laughs) but so that you can live into a full, a full purpose because free people, free people, you know, and, um, and so that you can reclaim the parts of you which you've written off because you didn't have a voice or written off because you were afraid or written off because you're a perfectionist and, because, and nothing less than perfection will do. Um, I, wanted, I wanted us to look, look again at what it meant to explore that and, and explore the fact that we are being changed from glory to glory day by day rather than thinking we've got to achieve this kind of presentation of passion for Jesus. It would be good to have a whole identity and a vibrant purpose instead.
0: All right, so let's let's go back to the to, to the kind of the first thing you said, which is, you know, what did you, uh, you know, what as a child, even what did you want to be? So, mm-hmm. so are we asking are we asking Pastor Steph that question? Or are we going to ask you that question?
2: Oh, Joe, no. would you, uh, oh, the dream of you. Mine's real quick.
0: I wanted to be Wonder Woman. That's it. <laughs> I knew that was the answer because I have at least read that much of the book. <laughs>
1: yeah. So. Well, I think we both have. Um, very different stories, but some similar ones in the mm-hmm. sense that we were both, and you know, we're we're talking about the concept of breaking the mold right now on our yeah. our podcast in this mm-hmm. season. We're both people who um, did never set out to break molds, but uh, by following God's leadership in our life, ended up mm-hmm. doing so um, just by being being who we are. And sometimes people perceiving that as too much, or yeah, um, you know, kind of settle down, <laughs> cool down, rein it in, those kinds of things. And I think we've both had that sense of, of wrestling through what that looks like in our lives. And so I think as, as I read The Dream of You and as I'm watching a lot of people engage with it, because it's, it's now out so people can get it, but mm-hmm. um, we've had some people read it early because of the launch team and stuff. And it's mm-hmm. just been fascinating to see how everyone's story is so different, but yeah. there is that moment of who started to tell me that I needed to be less of this or more of that or yeah. not enough this or too much of that. I think we both have had those experiences in different ways. Um, for me, one of the kind of interesting, you'll, you'll like this as a Canadian, I think for me, one of the interesting things is just being a former hockey player and, yeah, uh, women's I hockey also, I liked, was,
0: I like how you say hockey though. Ho- hockey, hockey, <laughs>
1: hockey. And, uh,
0: that's a good Minnesota.
1: Yeah. Good Minnesota, way. hockey. Yeah. Minnesota, Minnesota. Minnesota. Yeah. Um, and I think just, it's an example where I was just a little kid who watched the Mighty ducks movie and thought, well, there's girls doing that. That looks really fun. It never for me was about trying to do something the boys were doing. Not at all. I just thought it'd be really fun. And so when I, it, I mean, I was that little, I think I was in third grade. So you go back to who did you think you were going to be? I thought I was going to be like the the girl on Mighty Ducks, right? Mm-hmm. Turns out it didn't go as smoothly as it did in the movie for <laughs> me. And people yeah. were like, what are you doing here? And all this kind of stuff. So you, so you start, I think with the, what the book helps you do is look back and say, when did this even start that I could really even name? when people started to take my voice and yeah. to, to suggest something different than I really had dreams for myself or that I was discovering God's dreams for me. And um, I don't think that's something that only happens to women, no. Uh, no, but good. I think that I look back at my story and there was a number of times where that was the case. And uh, you know, I think what you were saying about just living into our calling and, and empowering other people, Um, And it's easy to kind of say, oh, things are going fine. What I've discovered is when I'm living into who I fully am, there's a certain sense of peace, but it's also an accepting of some tension. That being who I am and stepping into what God's calling me to be is going to be uh, countercultural because we're following Jesus in our lives. And in fact, to do this work long-term, it's holding tension for the long haul and becoming comfortable, coming to peace with tension. And um, to me, that's what... Kind of stepping into the dream of me has looked like, like what is God's dreams for me? Well, it means I'm gonna, I'm gonna be a lifelong uh, racial reconciler. For instance, that's not gonna be something that I go, oh well, I fixed that. Check, I did that in my life. <laughs> yeah, like it's not We're ever nice gonna be that. over, you know. Right. Or to be someone who co-labors with men and says, like, as hard as it is, and how sometimes certain men have really caused me to feel really negative, um, I'm not giving up on that yeah. co-laboring with them because I think God designed it that way, and I'm gonna go for it and keep pressing into it that's the long that's the dream it's not like a you know floating on a cloud dream it's like uh or a passive like it's very active like you step into who god made Mm -hmm. you to be
0: right like i think like there's other folks who might have talked about this kind of thing where it's sort of pretty simplistic like it's it's um you know what did you want to be when you
1: grew up yeah yeah
0: (laughs) and like let's get that spark back and actually do that so like Mm -hmm. we're not you're not saying, hey, here's how to be Wonder Woman. Here's how to <laughs> no be the Mighty Ducks. Or, right. you
2: know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think some of it is just recovering some of the, the way you are wired. Yeah. And uh, the, yeah. and I, I think, I mean, our childhood dreams are, ch- are childish, but sometimes they point to genuine passions you have that if given a chance to mature and grow up, actually become something more meaningful. Right. It's when we don't even let them happen that we lose our way.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I like this idea of like, when did it start that you were allowing people or it might not even be a person, right? Like it just might be like, when did you allow that yeah. voice to be telling you, and, this is what you can't do. This is what you ought to do. yeah, um, This is who you ought to be. Um And uh, like, I think of my own daughter and I, like, I want her to be able to be her own person. Like I can see. Yeah. At eight, oh, here are some things she's interested in. Here are some things she's good at, and
2: yeah, and that
0: mm-hmm. brings me a ton of joy to see mm-hmm. what she's discovering about herself. But I would hate it if she ever felt like a well, you know, here's like you really like reading, but I really wish you were better at sports. So right. <laughs> yeah. Like get you more into sports and like yeah okay we want physical exercise so we're going to encourage that like that's healthy and and good but I wouldn't want that to ever kind of spill into um, her feeling like well you know it, it really is okay to yeah. sit and read for an hour like mm-hmm. great go for it like that's what you right. want to do um, so I yeah like it's interesting to kind of think back like how when when did that happen so. I, like how do you help people with that like in the book? like how does that, how does that yeah,
2: work? um as a, com- a combination of things. I start each chapter with a letter, partly because I think when you're going with when you're going into the depths of something, you don't um it can be just really vulnerable. Yeah. To explore. And I think half the battle is actually admitting that those things have happened. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we go through life so quickly, we don't, we don't often have a chance to reflect. So a lot of it is reflection, and reflection on how certain circumstances or certain conditions have impacted us. And then I, I, I like to ask a lot of questions generally, because I want to encourage people to think and feel again for themselves rather than taking an identity here and, and saying, well, now you've told me to be this, almost defeats the object. Um, but then I look at different biblical characters and just the way that the Lord redeems the human condition and ask, what does it look like to step into some of those pieces? Um, and I, I see it as a as a, a way of helping people step away from one thing and then begin to walk into the unknown and begin to uncover what they're about again.
0: Yeah. this is This is really risky, right? Like, do you think this is risky for people to kind of make that transition or, or step? Like, um, I, I guess maybe it's just a sense of feeling vulnerable. Yeah.
1: That's an interesting way to put it. I it's, think it's vulnerable. It's like, what's more risky yeah, than say, do what do it, or away. to do that work, you know? Uh, so, I mean, I just, I want to bring something up that we didn't say yet. And that is, I mean, theologically speaking, we, when you said that voice that speaks to you, like we do have an, actually have an enemy that wants you to believe in correct things about yourself. Yeah.
2: It, it serves
1: a purpose. The it. father of lies. And if, if, uh, if the enemy can convince us at the very core that our identity is not who God says we are, Mm -hmm. I don't know if there's even any other lies necessary after that one. Mm -hmm. That's a pretty crippling one. And so the quote unquote risk, sometimes I talk about the difference between um, something that's scary and something that's dangerous. I think it's scary to start to unpack, unpack some of this identity stuff in your life, but it's really dangerous if you don't. Yes, That's the way I would say it. Um, And so, by definition both things are risky right something that's scary and
2: something that's dangerous and we we don't always feel ready for each bit all at once and i think that's that's understandable Mm -hmm. but um but i think it's 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 which risk isn't it it's do you risk the regret or regret uh, or um, the hard thing is when you risk the unknown you can't see its value right you can only see its cost Mm -hmm. you know um you can only see its cost and feel its cost and, and the way it kind of makes you feel all the fears all over again. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I think on the other side, because I, I, with the book itself, so, so much of it is part of my own story, I look at decisions I made 10 years ago that I felt like were happening. They were almost super, almost um, accidental ones that I realised have had huge ramifications for my life, in for good, for good things, all for ill, and realised... Um, how easy it is just to keep on going and to keep on leaving things as they are I, I, if only th- i mean some things there are there are some dramatic things that happen that change our our worldview but so often so many things just creep up on us mm. like day after day after day after day in the middle of the mundane and you and then you wonder how you got there and it's some of those things i mean both it, I, I hope the book speaks to both but i think there's there is a risk for us in the middle of the mundane stuff as to whether we'll attend to what God has for us in them, it's the midst of that, and who how God made us.
0: Yeah. I want to ask you about the um, like it's called the story of you. It's kind of like t- can can you tell me about why it's the story? Like, is there like is this related to what you were just saying about like is it sort of paying attention to what God has been doing? Like a story that's kind of played out in your life, kind of. Does that make sense?
2: No. Could you say that one more time for me?
0: (laughs) I'm asking like, uh, around the word story is, is part of, part of the task for us to kind of look back and kind of look at what actually has been going on in my life. Like, what is the story that's happening here?
2: Yeah, I think so. And I think because we're, we're all part of a bigger story also. And, um, and I, I, I think, I think there is something that we lose a lot when we don't examine our lives. I'm not asking us to go navel-gazing forever, but the unexamined life is an interesting one, <laughs> you know? Um, so I think it is asking us to reflect on where we've been, reflect on where we're at, because yeah. our story is happening as we breathe. Right. And it would be great if it was the one we wanted, do you know what I mean? Or the one yeah. we hope to be. And, and we're not in control of all of our circumstances, for sure. We're not, we, we're not in control of everything that happens, but the bits that have something to do with us, Um, we do it. It'd be great to be be free. You know, it'd be great to not always feel like because you were bullied when you were a kid that you still don't have a voice. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the assumptions that you, that what you say doesn't matter because you're so used to hearing it all your life because you've been told so many times you'll never amount to anything that you're either acting out or reacting to that with every move that you make. It'd be great if fear didn't stalk you at night and made you tense and then was kind of played out in how you raised your kids or how you related. And I think it's, it's that our, our lives are always telling stories, but God is always um, rewriting them right. if, as we invite him to. Yeah. Um, and there's some really
1: interesting stuff that's been written about, like just psychologically about changing the narrative. Right. Yeah. So I'm not saying this didn't happen, but uh, in any story, it starts to talk about like making meaning, like the meaning making that you t- like this happened now. How am I going to make meaning from that? Yeah. And when you made meaning from either something someone said to you, or something the enemy said to you, or something that you know, whatever, uh, and you got, and that started to bind you up to who mm-hmm. you really are, then the question is, can I flip that script now? Like as I go forward, I have a, a woman that I was mentoring, and she um, is in her probably in her forties, maybe fifties, and she was saying uh, her her daughter is getting into the late teens, and it it's causing her to for various reasons, need to confront some of the stuff that happened to her when she was a kid. Mm. And there's like this regret that she has about why I didn't deal with some of this earlier. Cause now I can see how it's affecting my daughter and all this kind of stuff. And I just said to her, like, it's never too late. Like it's yeah. never too late. we've never bypassed the opportunity to let God rewrite the story. It doesn't yeah. mean that we can write the story without those things happening, but we rewrite what that meaning has to do for our life going forward. And yeah. thus that will impact her daughter and et cetera. And, um, there's that tendency to have that, you know, regret. Like, why didn't I deal with this earlier? It's like, well, you know what? We're here now now. and uh, today's the day and it's never too late to start, to start letting God rewrite that story. Mm -hmm. But that is different than God's changing the backstory and it's like, it never happened. Like it happened. Those things happened. Yeah, The enemy said that to you or that instance happened to you or, but how do we allow that story to start to have a redemptive trajectory and God can do that, and I we've seen it happen in people's lives yeah. many, many times.
0: Sure, and I think like this can be in like massive, big ways, and and really small, absolutely smaller ways, right? Um, absolutely. Like and think- Joe
1: tells both examples of some big ways in her life and some smaller ways in her life, and um, biblical
0: characters and stuff throughout the do you book. Wanna, it's do you really share helpful. one, Joe?
2: Yeah, share one. I'm trying. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and that moment when you go blank. Um,
0: well, That's I always hard.
2: <laughs> no, I I mean, I think I think of some of the like. Uh, let me think. To kind of phrase, I think of some of the experiences. Like I talk about the things that name and label our lives. And so one of the experiences from my childhood was I was in foster care, which was a wonderful experience, but left the legacy of its own in terms of insecurity and how disposable you were. Now, that's a, those are one. That's more of the dramatic things. Um, and then, but so, and that that was out of my control. That you know, that's when the story got started. Was written before I had a chance to get a pen to to the page. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there are others in terms of the impact of friendships and the impacts of relationships, which changed the story that changed the narrative that would have been part of my story as well in terms of helping me face fears or helping me hear that I actually had a voice. And there was no word from God or angel visitation or anything dramatic about that. That was based out of friendships and that, and I'm not even sure half the people were aware that's the impact they had. Um, but it certainly changed the trajectory for me, and in terms of my perception and expectations. And I, I, I refer, I deliberately in one of in the book use Ruth and. Esther, not just because they're women, but because God isn't explicitly mentioned in those books. Um, and I, I love that about this story because there's so much happening, which now we have the privilege of saying, well, that was God all along. It's like, that's great, but they didn't have a clue, right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and I think so much of our life can be like that, where we're like, I hope this is right. I think this is the right thing. I'm just, you know, I'm working out with my community. And and but you see the fingerprints, um, you see, um you see the fingerprints have, have got all over it now. And I think much of our life, um, we encounter things like that. Where at the time, we're like, I, I don't really know. But now I can really see how much that friendship has been a healing part of my life, has been a restorative part of my life. But if someone had come up and introduced himself that way, I would have run a mile from them. Yeah, for sure. Because that would be weird. <laughs> Hi, I'm going
0: to be a healing and restorative presence in your life, and I want to be your run friend. Away, That's probably away, not the best. <laughs>
2: yeah, that is like, and you're a stalker. Thank you, thank yeah. you for that. <laughs> but we've had those people in our lives. Well, that have stalkers. Been those, stalkers. Or? Yeah, um, <laughs>
1: I stalked Joe actually. I and to be fair, I warned her. You did tell me you were going to stalk me. Yeah, and here we are. Well, come. I'm here. Hi, happy no, times. No, we've had people who've been those healing. Yeah. Oh my god all that out and sometimes they don't even know that they were that but um Mm -hmm. it's pretty cool when that happens uh
0: i want to ask the two of you both about uh your own personal spiritual practices because that's what we do on this podcast yeah yeah, which uh, is uh,
1: wonderful we're so glad you're talking about that
0: yeah what do you do in your like in your regular daily life um that helps you connect with god
2: Mm, i um i talk to god a lot um, I, I, I didn't become a Christian in a Christian family, so I think that was actually quite helpful because no one told me how i was supposed to do things. I just kind of worked it out as I went along. Um, and so I talked. I talk to him most of the day, actually, about stuff. When I'm in the car, if I'm not on the phone or on Voxer to Steph, I'm talking to God about something. <laughs> and and it, I mean, and I want to. I want to make it sound deep, but it's about Target. I mean, it's about Starbucks. It's nothing deep. It's just sometimes it's deep, and uh, um, sometimes, but it's often really not. Um, but, but it's part of my habit of, you know, because I have, you know, with any relationship, you have this shallow stuff and, and, but it goes deeper. Um, I, then there are other practices in terms of, I have a, I have a prayer partner and we pray three times a week in the mornings. Mm -hmm. That's just a good anchor for me. Um, I take a retreat every month. You
0: get together with that person, like in person? Um,
2: conference call, because it's early. So yeah, Yeah. neither of us want to get, get out of bed. We just, (laughs) no one wants to go outside. You just kind of, conference call it yeah um I think one of the other things that I realize is more and more of a spiritual pra- well it has been a spiritual practice for many years but I haven't had a language for it is I've often made people made sure I've had relationships who can ask me challenging questions okay yeah that, that I think that has probably been one of the mo- one of the biggest determining things and not just for the bad stuff but for the good stuff for the yeah. ideas for the for the untapped yeah. potential, but people who are saying, so what are you going to do about that? Yeah. Or people who are, I remember you saying this, how are we, how are we doing with this thing? Yeah. I think that's, that's been a, that is a spiritual practice for me because that has been, again, in times the healing hand of God, the inspiring hand of God, God moving and prompting me and reminding me um, about the things he said. Um, and then I like, I, yeah, and I really enjoy worship as well. I yeah. like, yeah, I enjoy worshiping. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. That's okay. me.
1: Um, how about you, Steph? I'll share some of the general ones, but also a couple of my favorite ones because I'm kind of a, um, I, don't, I don't know if I'm going to use this word correctly, but I've heard people talk about like little kids are kind of like neophiliacs. Like they like to bring out new toys. I, I hope that's a good word. I think it is. Like you take, you take their toys away and then you bring can be them out really wrong. and you're like, look at this new toy. And they're like, Ooh. and so for me, there's this balance between the regular rhythms that keep me grounded. Like I think about how spiritual rhythms are sometimes the only consistent thing I have in my entire life. And I sometimes hear people say, oh man, when my life calms down, I'll get it together. And I'm like, yeah. oh, that's not going to happen. Like the re- <laughs> like transition is just, life is just one big transition. Yeah. Sometimes like those consistent things that are, and they could change seasonally. But like, so for me, um, oftentimes it's it's a short morning kind of connection. I've got a few different books, uh, of like the Book of Common Prayer and other things that draw me in. And when I've done that for a season and it feels like I need to shake it up a little bit, like I'll switch um, uh, for a long time, the, my, my number one go-to ever since I've been discipled by Joe and others is the Moravian text that's given every day just to give a little bit of, an ode, a, lot of lecture, like, yeah. Yeah, a, yeah, a lectionary, and, um, that's been helpful for me just to stay. it's so cool how sometimes that exact thing comes up later that day. and And so for me, like, honestly, sometimes I'm just reading it to read it. Cause I feel like it's a rhythm. And nine times out of ten, it doesn't feel transformational at all. But mm. it's worth it for the tenth time, and it's worth it for the regular rhythm of yeah. keeping me grounded <laughs> as and a connected. Person. Yeah, yeah. Even if it is just like people will say, like, I don't want to do it if it's like going through the motions. I'm like, sometimes the motions yeah, are good. The motions are. Good. The motions are good. Yeah, like going through. Like, yeah. Anyway, so yeah. that's that's one thing about motions. A couple of my favorite ones lately are. Um, I like to rewrite Psalms in my own mm-hmm. words. Yeah. Oh, um, cool. Nice. So, you know, I've read the Psalms enough in my life that I kind of know the ones that uh, connect to certain concepts. So, if I'm feeling a lament or I'm feeling, you know, or <laughs> i go going 60s, yeah, right, right, like like, okay. Or if I'm feeling a, a sense of um, wonder or whatever, then just kind of putting it in my own words. It's just been really fun for me. Mm-hmm. I think I, that's easier for me than just writing free thoughts about to God. Like my journal. Again, like I'm not much of a journaler really never have been. Um, sometimes I do, but it's not a regular practice for Mm -hmm. me. And so rewriting Psalms is fun. Also, um, and I'm just gonna be honest, this practice has come out of the book, The Shack. Oh yeah. What's that one? And the movie. Um, so they, there's this moment in The Shack and if you don't know, it's a, you know, it's a a story that's depicting a, a fiction version of the the Trinity and they're sitting down to have dinner Mm -hmm. and like the guest guy's there and, Instead of them praying for the food, they have like they call it, they have it a, devo- a devotion, and they start sharing their t- their devotedness to each other, and they start affirming like things oh, about wow. each other. The Trinity does so, like yeah. the Father says to the Son, like "Oh, I love this about you," and then right. <laughs> the Spirit's like, "Oh, I just really love this about the Father." <laughs> like, and then the guy who's there is just like his mind's blown. And so, uh, me and my husband, and whenever we we have a lot of twenty-somethings that eat with us often because we have, that's one of the ways we do family is by twenty-somethings uh, that still need a little like you know, older brother, sister kind of thing. And so we'll have like a time of devotion where we just say things we love about Jesus or about who God is. Mm -hmm. And um, it's totally different than like bowing our head and praying for the food. We just start talking about it. And then it always turns into like an interesting conversation. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's not that you don't want to talk to God, but sometimes talking about God Mm -hmm. devotionally is a really cool thing. And so um, it just shakes it up. So that's one of my favorite right now is uh, that we've been doing that every once in a while. And it's just. Every time there's something really cool that comes from that conversation, because so cool. I find it. like certain days I love different things about Jesus, mm-hmm. and it has to do with what's going on in my life. You know, that's and, like
0: a that's a, that's something brand new. No one said that on this uh, podcast. Yeah.
1: There we go. There you go. You oh, it you it came. It came from that scene in the shack, and I haven't yeah. heard of anybody having a practice from that, but I think that's what they say. They are like let's have a time of devotion, and then the guy oh, bows his head, right. and they're like, yeah. "What are you doing?" <laughs> <So Yeah>. He's <laughs> like we're gonna devote prayer. I don't know the food. And bless it. Are <laughs> <were> we <you> blessing <laughs> it? it?
0: But that is a, like, that's a really different way of talking about God, though.
1: Yeah. I'm devoted to God by saying the things that devote me to God.
0: Right. Like, we're used to hearing sermons, like, you're Mm -hmm. a preacher and teach preaching. Right. That's just a totally different way of doing it. Uh, That's cool. I've never heard that before. before. Hmm. Try it out, listeners. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. The first
1: (laughs) time you bring it up to somebody, they're going to be like, what? What do you mean? And be like, look, it's from a movie. It's from this book. Just don't worry about
0: it. Just try it. That's true. You know. I'll I'll refer them to you if they. Agree.
1: Well, that's what I think about all spiritual practices. We can get kind of our head in the wait. Hold on, centering prayer. What's that mean? It's like listen, just try it. You know, behave yeah. your way into it's, some new thinking. Oh, it's it, totally it goes true. a long way.
0: That's I mean I, I haven't said this in a while, but part of the reason I started the this podcast was because I didn't like spiritual practices. Mm. Oh wow! I and then I've learned over the years. Oh wow, we really need these. <laughs> Yeah, mm. and, you a um, go. So I remember like in seminary, we were, you know, we had a spiritual formation class and we were like, they, they make you do certain, like, now you have to do centering prayer, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, new Testament classes in 15 minutes. So <laughs> <you got 10 laughs> minutes to do centering prayer um, or everyone go walk the labyrinth and you have to do that. And then we're going to talk about what your experience was. So mm-hmm. it was just sort of this forced, like, ah, oh, this is horrible. And I hated it, the whole thing. Yeah. Um, but then later coming back to those like now if i see a labyrinth somewhere it's like oh like do i have time like i'm going to go and walk through that and like you said like nine times out of 10 nothing happens but going through the practice of doing something like that mm-hmm. or walking Before. or doing some Before kind of meditation I... yeah. um Way it's back. important to engage in those and even just to try stuff out like maybe yeah, it's an experiment. I yeah. always say it's
1: an experiment, just experiment with it. I'm like, oh, that no, was I
0: didn't like that. I'm going to go back to reading my Psalms, you know, like mm-hmm. <laughs> that's fine. Um, so I think, I think that's really good just to encourage people to try, try out something new, see if
1: seasons, the sleep. seasons of your life do really change what that looks yeah. like. I mean, oh. and sometimes that's because of having kids or getting married or, but off or job changes, but sometimes it's just God's leading you into a new season. And so it's yeah. time for some new practices. And I have like a, an ed- a an editable document. It's always going to be, in, you know, in a in a draft form, and that's just my rule of life. And it it literally needs to keep changing because of yeah. of circumstances and just the way that God's moving in my life. But I still have that rule of life. It's just not necessarily a, a one that I'm putting a period at the end of. It's like always in that's in good. flux, and so different seasons, it has to change.
0: That's really cool. Okay. Yeah. Joe, you were originally from London, is that right?
2: I am. Yeah, born and raised.
0: <laughs> yeah. Why are you in Minneapolis?
2: Well, <laughs> the Lord i you tell you what, in the winter, I asked myself that same question.
0: I was born in Stoke-on-Trent. And so my family moved here when I was moved to Winnipeg when I was two. So I, I kind of have the same.
2: That's funny. Rationale. That's fun. <laughs> um, there's a very nice shopping mall in Stoke-on-Trent. Um, <laughs> but but um, I moved to the States about 14 years ago. And basically a team from our church were working with another church, uh, um, a church in Phoenix, Arizona at the time. Um, and our church in England had done a lot in terms of what I, I guess is often being called the missional conversation and talking about how we engage the world around us, um, particularly in, at that time, young adults and um, how we equipped a community to reach the community as it were. And so we were working with this church in Arizona on that. Um, it was very difficult, nothing like what we thought it would be, but, it never is, is it? Um, and then over time, just stayed. I mean, you know, we had kids, and then your roots go down a little bit more and more, and and moved to different places. My husband was a pastor at the time, and we were both pastors at various times, and um, so went where we felt led. But then in the end, actually came to Minneapolis because that for me, um, there was a job, but we felt it was where we were going to raise our kids. Mm-hmm. We felt, I mean. I, I remember having this moment lamenting saying we were living in California saying, God, I want to live. My kids are going to hate living in the beach. And I just felt like the Lord was like, actually I want the kids to grow up in Minnesota. So that was that <laughs> And is an
0: awesome city.
2: It is, it is, it so. is. And, um, it's funny now that, um, we're here. And I always ask the kids ever want to go back to California. And they're like, don't do that. That's ridiculous. Right. Um, <laughs> they can't imagine being anywhere else. And, and it's been a great place for our family, you know, and, um, and I when I say family, I mean beyond the nuclear, Beyond, uh, I mean the, the relationships we've built as well. Yeah. And have you gotten into hockey?
1: No. No. <laughs> I won't let them. I that's just, fun. you know what? I want my kids to have too. Lifetime sports, play volleyball and soccer, just don't. Yeah. Swimming, that's
2: good. Yeah. It's yeah. tough. My body is still... Herb- herb- uh, yeah. You, your, your hockey injuries inspire yeah. me to never watch it. I know. It's, I just, it's I just, so fun.
0: I just watch it. I never played, but it's really... Like, I don't know. I don't understand people who live in Winnipeg and don't, and aren't in love with the Winnipeg Jets. So
1: (laughs) (laughs) we can be fans, but, but yeah, yeah, I'm retired. I'm in retirement.
0: (laughs) All right. That's funny. It's been really good having the two of you on this show and getting an opportunity to talk to you. Thanks. Thank you very much. We appreciate it.
1: for the thoughtful questions.
0: Yeah. Thanks so much.